Jerry Mace, the Kicking Lawyer, and we are here for another Law Talk. I hope everyone has had a happy holiday season. As always, if you haven't, please like, follow, subscribe to the content. Uh, you can find us on all social media platforms, all podcast platforms, YouTube, TikTok, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're on all the stuff. Uh, definitely go check out the TikTok. It's really kind of blown up it's because of all the dances. And then we've got Inside My Head is available now. It's by the local band, N.A. The Band. It is free on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, wherever you listen to music. So please check those guys out. Michelle Allen is a longtime sponsor of the show, so we want to give her a shout-out. And uh, make sure you check her out if you need help buying, selling, renting, leasing real estate. She'll be glad to help you. Also a good community leader, so she can give you guidance on that stuff too. Mason's High Octane Martial Arts. We've a location in Covington and a location in Millington now. If you're interested in starting your martial arts journey, just visit masonsmartialarts.com. We'd be glad to get you started. And then the new uh, business we're working on right now is Jam Books and Records. It'll be located on Square in Covington. We'll have new and used books and records. Uh, hopefully, that'll be open the beginning of January. We shall see. And then Masonite Digital Marketing. Josh will help you with your branding, social media marketing, commercials, uh, video, whatever you need, just visit masonitemarketing.com. And I was pleasantly surprised to have this guest walk in today so that I could interview him. <laughs> and that is a fellow attorney, Mr. Jeremy Armstrong. How are you, Jeremy? Hello. Good to see you. You know, I guess I should tell you publicly, I think I've told you before, but you know, you did help me in law school. Uh, Jeremy is much smarter than me, and I go on record telling people that all the time. He's a very intelligent attorney, just smart guy in general. But we were in law school, he was a year ahead of me. And I remember I was struggling with civil procedures, and uh, you gave me a what were they called? Those the, the outlines. Yeah, you gave well, you gave me the outlines, but you gave me a study book too. Oh yeah, and it actually helped. Um, I forget what brand that was, but the Barbary Study Guides. It may have been the Barbary Studies. It was a separate book on civil procedure. Um, because I man, I struggled with civil. I, you know what I struggled with in personally in law school? Civil procedures. I just couldn't grasp it, and criminal law. Because I'd been a cop, and the law was the state statutes, mm -hmm. and it was the common law in criminal law, and it was confusing to me. Well, I mean, that's one of the things about law school. You spend three years learning the law, and then you start practicing and realizing that just a very small amount of it's actually relevant to day-to-day -day practice. Yeah, especially if you're a criminal defense lawyer. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you are now a public defender. Yes. And do you enjoy that? Oh, I love it. Yeah. What, what, do, you, what do you like about it? Well, one, I don't have to go out and hunt down my clients. They, uh, <laughs> the judges tend to hand them to me. Yeah, that helps. But aside from that, it's you know, it's great having people who appreciate you know they can't necessarily afford their own attorney, so they appreciate having somebody in their corner. Mm. Um, you know, of course, there's always the attitude with some people that if you're a public defender, you're not a real attorney. Mm -hmm. You're not practicing on your own. You're not a real lawyer because the state's just, you know, you work for the state. Mm -hmm. But, you know, something I learned even when I was in private practice, public defenders are the ones in that courtroom every day. Mm -hmm. So they know the judges. They know how the judges rule. You know, it's generally a good idea to listen to the public defender because they kind of have their finger on the pulse of that courtroom. Yeah, well, I tell people here all the time. I literally had a guy come in before I met with you, and he has a public defender. He's got two different jurisdictions he's got charges and uh, one of the one of them he has a public defender and he was sort of saying the same type thing is that I, he didn't feel like the guy was trying to work for him and what I explained to him the guy he has is a good lawyer 
And I said that some of the best lawyers I know are public defenders. And so I think they get that bad uh, perception just out of ignorance, to be honest, because you're right. Often they have the most experience. A lot of times they have more trial experience. Um, I think the only negative, and you, you tell me your view on this now that you've worked as a public defender for some time and then in private practice. The only thing that sometimes I think may come up, and I don't know that this is accurate locally, but sometimes I think they do get too many cases. You know, it's maybe hard to manage the caseload uh, when there's too many. But what's been your experience on that? Do you feel like it's appropriate now? or The district I work in, it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, I think enough public defenders to cover the cases. But we also have judges who are very particular about if you make a certain amount if you make a bond of a certain amount, you don't get a public defender. Because mm-hmm. if you can make you know several thousand dollars worth of bonds, then you need to go hire your own attorney. Mm-hmm. But we do have days in court where a private attorney may come in, have one or two clients they're dealing with, where I may have 10. Mm-hmm. So aside from just trying to balance meeting with all of my clients, talking to the DA, reviewing evidence, I mean, there comes a time crunch where eventually I have to say, you know, I'm prioritizing this trial I have next week versus, you know, continuing three or four cases that I may have been able to resolve this week. Mm-hmm. But I have to push them because I just didn't have time. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, that is a part that – and that's one thing I think that Brian and I – I don't know that we do well. But, like, Brian will not go do jail visits. <laughs> he won't do it. So I do. I'll go do the jail visits. But Brian, you know, he, he's kind of like you. He's real smart. And so his best use often is maybe – researching or drafting something that said I'm not good at, you know? So I think sometimes that's a give and take. Um, and well, and, and let's talk about that briefly. So why don't you let everybody know, cause you have a very interesting background, uh, what your undergrad and, uh, what, what's your, what are your degrees in? So I went to undergrad at Christian brothers, got a degree in biology with a minor in chemistry. Then I went and spent three years at UT health science center studying neuropharmacology, mm-hmm. which is basically the study of drugs and how they work on the brain and funny enough i spent most of my time shooting rats up with cocaine <laughs> okay I mean, that was fun it, it was and uh one thing i kind of joke about is i went from a world where i was shooting rats up with cocaine to seeing how it works in the real world yeah <laughs> seeing how it works with the clients and whatnot why cocaine specifically well one of the things we were kind of focused on was you know a lot of the drugs of abuse work on the dopamine centers of the brain they make mm. you happy yeah yeah they trigger a euphoria. Meth, cocaine, they all trigger a euphoric feeling. What we wanted to try to do was find something that if somebody was addicted to cocaine, then if we did finally get them off of cocaine, we wanted something to keep them from relapsing. Well, unfortunately, some of the issues we had was you start playing with that system and you have issues like depression and mm-hmm. stuff like that. When you take the happy chemicals away, you start getting a lot of sad. Yeah. Hmm. So um, what do you think about on the dopamine? What do you think about these? <laughs> so I was actually... And for those that can't see what we're doing, I was talking about a cell phone. I was asking Jeremy his perception on the cell phone with dopamine. It's uh, definitely, I mean, you mentioned the TikTok earlier. You know, how do you, how much dopamine do you get each time you swipe to a new video Mm -hmm. or you get a like on Facebook, you get little charges of dopamine. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it can be just as addictive as a drug. Um, And I mean, you've got even people reporting, you know, when they have their cell phone in their hands or they carry their cell phone in their pocket, 
they'll get phantom vibrations. Mm-hmm. You know, they think they felt their cell phone vibrate and they check it. Mm-hmm. Because your body is geared so much to getting that positive response, just to being connected all the time, mm-hmm. that it hunts for that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I was listening to another podcast uh, actually this morning, and they were talking about that. But then they were also talking about the next level, like how we as humans, um, you know, we constantly invent. That's really kind of what we do. If you look at humans as a species. We develop technology, and then because we want that dopamine hit, we always got to desire the next thing, you know, mm-hmm. the next bigger, better. We're not ever content, so we always go to the next level. And so, like, you, you, again, I, I respect your opinion on especially stuff like this, but, you know, I don't think we're far from where this is integrated, you know, where this is part of us. Like, we're borderline an Android now, you know, like <laughs> like everybody has to have the phone with them, you know. And so uh, how far do you think we are to where we're some kind of integration I think we're at least a couple decades away from implanted. Mm -hmm. Now, I do think in the next decade, they'll have refined things like the Google Glass and stuff like that, where it becomes common to just constantly have a field of vision. Mm -hmm. Kind of like an augmented reality look. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Well, you know, they had, there was one movie that had something like that where when you look at somebody, you would see their stats, their background, their social score, you know, all these kind of things. And uh, I'm ner- I am nervous that we are kind of working that direction on some of this stuff. Um, th- th- there was something else I was going to say, though, about that that you just brought up. Um, and I can't recall what I was just thinking about. Well, I mean, you've got, you've got shows now playing. You've got, like, the Orville, and I think Black Mirror may have done one that's played around with the idea of somebody's social value being connected to their social media, how much people like them. Yeah. That, that's what it was. Uh, AI. Uh, another thing I heard this morning was saying that um, they, this guy was saying that he thinks they have already done the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, general intelligence or whatever. the It's artificial intelligence, but it's like a general artificial intelligence, like it's standalone already. Oh. Like he, that somebody has already cracked that. Uh, that makes me nervous because I grew up watching Terminator and stuff. <laughs> Are we uh, are we ready to hit Judgment Day? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it goes one of two ways. I think once we finally crack the AI code, it's either going to be AI looks at us like an ant and is like, I don't care. You know, it's not relevant to me. Or they look at us like a bacteria and they're like, we need to get rid of that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think it's going to be one of the two. Well, I mean, science fiction writers have played with it for years talking about once AI gets to the point and their goal is to protect humanity, do they protect humanity from themselves by destroying us? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of scares me. Uh, I mean, I guess we'll see. I'm also afraid that because of these and things in video games and whatnot, it's so addictive. You know, it's eventually going to be kind of like Ready Player One, where people are just completely immersed in it, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. you you get a, think about it, if you got the suit where you could feel it, and you're in there and in it, um, I don't know, it's like next level. Well, I play I, I play video games myself a couple hours a week. I mm-hmm. play Diablo, things like that. You know, I'm not getting in there, you know, I don't go on the chat and all that. I'm, I've never been that type. I get in there to get away from other people. Sure, sure. But, I mean, there are people whose entire social structure is built around the people they meet in these arcade games, mm-hmm. in these video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like you can build a it's almost like a different avatar, you mm-hmm. know, because people don't see you; they just see your character and what you do in the game. I play uh, Apex mm-hmm. Legends a little bit, 
And it is an escape for me. I like it because it's monotonous and I don't have to think about other things. So I do play it that way. Now, I do I do occasionally play uh, Fortnite if my kids are on it. They're all grown, but they still play it. Uh, and then I know Josh, you and my, and Justin, our other brother, have been playing Call of Duty, right? Yeah, we were, yeah, we were just playing last night. <laughs> yeah, they enjoy the getting to shoot people part, though, I think. That's my favorite. Yeah, it's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talking about video games, though, Jeremy, I don't know if Josh knows this, but you know our dads were big on video games uh, coming up because they worked in that industry. Your dad mm-hmm. still does, right? He does. He uh, he still contracts with bowling alleys, places like that, to provide arcade games to them. And I still occasionally help him out mm-hmm. just doing some repairs. And Well, you know, uh, Josh and them, I know Justin's wanting to. Want, uh, I don't know if Mama's okay with it. You really need to clear that with her. But they're going to clear out a bunch of stuff in that garage. And there's a bunch of old cabinets and boards <laughs> and all kinds of stuff in there. Uh, if You can talk to your dad if he has any interest in it. Yeah, the cabinets are the only thing I think has any uh, value because mm-hmm. it's like some of the old Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. cabinets with the because the images and stuff that are on the side of them. Imagine most of the boards by now are probably not in working order. <laughs> <It> would be <laughs> my, they I could guess. probably fix them though. I don't know. They're old school. You never know. But uh, so on the old school arcade games, since you grew up with them too, what's like your favorite all time arcade game? Oh, what is? I can't. I can't believe I can't remember the name. It's literally a side-to-side shooter. You just basically troll along, get better and better guns. Galaga? No, no, that's a vertical. This one is just a soldier running across the Contra? screen. Contra? Something similar to that. But it was an arcade game. Yeah. Soldier running across. Full the Metal screen. something. Full Metal Gear. Yes. Something like that. Full Metal Gear, I think, is what it was called. Yeah, I remember that one. What about you, Josh? My favorite specifically arcade game? Yeah. Or, uh, probably probably either Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man or Galaga, <laughs> one of those. Yeah, I was going to say Miss Pac-Man, mostly because I probably spent the most hours playing that. Our dad, used, and I'm sure you have done this with your dad, Jeremy, but we would go to you know sites where he had games set and he'd collect the money mm-hmm. and we'd play. Well, a lot of times it was in bars. And I can remember being like seven or eight and going in bars where they had Pac-Man tournaments in the 80s. Hmm. And they would have the cocktail Pac-Man. So. Oh, yeah. And I was really good at Miss Pac-Man. And so I'd go in there with these drunk dudes and beat them and win the <laughs> tournaments at like seven or eight playing Miss Pac-Man. Um, but, yeah, I played that. And then I played – you remember Joust? Oh, yeah. That was a good one. Uh, that that one I remember enjoying a lot. And Spy Hunter. There was a bunch of 1980s um, arcade games that I uh, have good memories of. It was a big deal. I remember this. You tell me if you experienced this. So I would have friends come over, and uh, this was pre-Nintendo, So, and I'm a little older than you, so you, you may not have experienced this. Anyway, they would come over, and it was just this huge thing to them that we had these video games there. And it was old news to me. You know, I wanted to play with mm-hmm. my friends. And then even maybe it goes back to the dopamine thing, but I couldn't get them to not play the games. You know, they would want to just play the games the whole time. That's all they would <laughs> want to do, and I wanted to do other stuff with my friends, and it became kind of a distraction. And then for us, Nintendo hit, and that kind of killed the business for a long time. Oh, yeah. So, um, But did y'all have games there, I guess, growing up at the house or around? We had the, we had you know, the tabletop Pac-Man, and that's really, we had some, we had a dartboard. Yeah. But we really, Dad didn't bring a lot of them home. Mm-hmm. I think he kind of got tired of dealing with them at work, so yeah. he didn't really bring them home. Hey, if he runs across a tabletop Pac-Man, or even a stand-up, I would kind of like to have one. Uh, I don't want one of these new ready player up mm-hmm. ones they have the i want arcade, like an arcade one yeah yeah well it's the funny old school one 
What's funny is you go to some of the arcades now, and they've got these, you know, massive emulators that take up an entire wall mm-hmm. where you play old Nintendo games. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? People want to do Tetris on that or whatever. Right, you're playing you're playing te- a thirty, probably forty year old now game. Yeah, and you're paying a dollar to do it. Yeah. Well, part of why Daddy got out of it at that one point is because once Nintendo hit, people quit going to the arcade. And then yeah. it developed to where the only game they would go pay to play were the ones that were kind of a simulator, like a you were on a motorcycle mm-hmm. thing or a shooter with a gun, something you couldn't really simulate at home. And But those were so expensive, it just got sort of cost prohibitive for him to keep doing that. Uh, but I remember that being a big deal, because we went from having a lot of money to having no money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, those you get the nice riding games, and those would be thousands of dollars, or you know, sometimes you would lease them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they're only bringing in $100, a couple hundred dollars a month or even a week, you're taking, when you add repairs, you're operating at a loss on them. Yeah, yeah. Did your, I guess your dad probably did. Did he do crane machines and oh, still pool tables and all of that cranes. stuff? Yeah. I yeah. remember uh, going up there and helping him at the shop, and we'd bring pool tables in that had been at places like Hazel's. Mm-hmm. And he'd hand me some Windex and a paper towel and say, "Go, you know, wipe that down." Yeah, yeah go clean I that thought, thing up. you know, I thought the uh, trim on the sides was brass and it was silver. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was from all the smoke residue. Yeah, uh, I remember going with my dad to to this like industrial area of Memphis, and uh, it seemed like it was so far away as a kid. I remember. Anyway, that's where he would pick up the toys that would go in the mm-hmm. crane machine. It was an Acme toy company, is where it was. Anyway, we go in there. And I remember it because the whoever the I don't know if it was an owner or receptionist who it was, but some nice lady would always bring me some toy out because I was the <laughs> kid, so I'd get some special toy from from going and picking up all them crane machine toys that were in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it was uh, I remember one that I got was like a knockoff transformer. <laughs> it was like a gold and bronze Dinobot, but it was not a Dinobot. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that and was, it would work about three times. And. Yeah, I probably still had it stuck somewhere. I want to see that probably worth something now. Is a knockoff. <laughs> so speaking of dinosaurs, I saw Godzilla minus one last night. Have you How seen was that? that? Well, first, let me get Josh's perspective because Josh is the reason I went. So Josh, explain to me why Godzilla minus one. Uh, why you have such an opinion on it? Uh, because it's basically like a remake of the original Godzilla where Godzilla is not treated like a joke or like a big cartoon character or Barney, but it's treated like a force of nature, like a hurricane or an earthquake or a natural disaster. He's this, like, terrifying force. And I like the fact that they took it back to its roots and set it post-World War II Japan, so right after the nukes had been dropped. So you already had Japan in this situation where they were at ground zero, essentially, um, because they had dealt with this horrible, you know, traumatic war that they had just been through and all the things that had happened. And then on top of that, they then have to also deal with this giant monster attacking and, and destroying the city. And it had the best characters of any Godzilla movie. I thought the characters were really well done. I actually cared about them, and I was actually concerned about them, you know, getting killed. So, uh, anyway, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it was the best movie of the year, and I thought it was hands down the best Godzilla movie by far. I don't think any of the other Godzillas... Um, even come close to it. So it's better than the early 2000 one that the Taco Bell dog had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, yeah, it's, it's slightly better than that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I, we watched it. Madeline fell asleep immediately. <laughs> it's subtitled, which I was prepared for. I knew it was a Japanese movie that was subtitled. 
Uh, I agree that it had the best character development of any Godzilla movie. It was a good... They, the actors are really good. It's it's dubbed, but you do still... Uh, I agree that you care for them. They're, it's the best acting of any of the movies. You know, Ma- Matthew... What is it? Broderick, Roderick, whatever, that played in the one is, is good, but this was way better. Uh, I didn't really like Godzilla, though. I didn't like their... He moves like uh, like the old Godzilla toy moved. Like it's like a step. It was it and was, then a step. It was an intentional move by the and director was, uh, to make the CGI Godzilla move like the guy in the suit did in the original. Yes. Yeah. So that was uh, I, I don't know I I did it was more of a romance really mm. to be honest. Like you said, it was a horror movie. And I didn't really feel that well, at all. I just meant the scenes where Godzilla was on screen. I felt that it was a ro- like it felt like a romance uh, to me. It was it was really more about post war PTSD and you know unrequited love or whatever. Um, I mean, it was good, but I think I I, I initially thought it was going to suck super bad, and then him and other people were like, "It's the greatest movie ever." So then I had this high standard. And it's probably in the middle there somewhere. But. You also got to remember one thing: you have to approach it from the angle of it was made for like five dollars, as opposed to and was that yeah yeah good no no I, I, versus I, these super. I don't mean to undersell it. it it's decent, but that, I, that costs three hundred million dollars and are trash. <laughs> so I, I don't think it was uh, the best of the year, though. My opinion. So I, we're gonna we're gonna retitle it "Love and Love in the Time of Kaiju" or yeah yeah maybe. <laughs> I can't wait on them to say kaiju, but I never picked up on that in there. They just said kaiju. They, right. they didn't know what they were. That was the mm-hmm. it was the first time they encountered something like that. So. It, it, anyway, it, it's worth seeing. You might like it. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to check it out. Are you a monster movie guy at all? I like I like monster movies. All mm-hmm. right. Um, I tend to, you know, Christmas movies like Die Hard mm-hmm. and Rambo and mm-hmm. and Batman. Yeah, well, <laughs> nineteen ninety nine Batman. It's got a it's got a Christmas tree in it. Batman, I think it's Batman Returns. You're thinking. Oh, is it? I was, I was thought they were trying to say Batman was. I agree. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> Best Christmas movie ever. Oh, the Santa Claus. The Santa Claus. That's it. Shows your age though. I think because you're younger. Oh, than it's that. it's definitely a millennial age yeah, movie. Yeah. I uh I like. Uh, I don't know. The one that I used to watch every time was the, like the 1934 Christmas Carol. Mm. And it's because, uh, you know, for some reason around Christmas Eve, I would be putting toys together late at night. Uh, and I won't, I won't disclose why, because uh, you had kids, little kids. Anyway, so it, it, while the, I was doing that, I was always had that plan. And so I have good memories with that. I also like National Lampoon's uh, Christmas Vacation. It's really good. Yeah. Now, if you're looking at less traditional Christmas movies, Scrooged is one of my favorites. Hmm. Yeah, it's all right. I like Elf, I guess, is sort of a modern traditional one. I can give I, I kind of give and take with Will Ferrell. Uh huh. What did you think about Brian and the play? Oh, that was the play was great. Yeah, I, I know that uh, certain people had a hard time because they had just gotten off a long trip. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was a <laughs> yeah we did have a hard time. I, I mean, staying awake. It was a good play. I, I did fall asleep, but it wasn't because the play wasn't good. <laughs> I mean, I'm really impressed with what you know that community theater puts on. Every time I have been to the Collierville, the, the Herald, right? Is that Herald. what it is? Every time I've been to the Herald Theater, all the productions are top-notch. They're very mm-hmm. good. And they always have really good dance uh, sections in yeah. it. I guess there's a local dance group or something that's, I don't know, they're all really good. They mm-hmm. always have really impressive dance stuff. And then, you know, like even the, I thought the best scene of that play was the Santa Claus part where they're doing mm-hmm. the singing and dancing on the chairs. That was impressive. Yeah. And Mark Vaughn did an excellent job as Santa. 
That's right. I did, that is who he played. I, you know, I, I, you know, I recognized him, but didn't realize it was him until <laughs> you just said that. Uh, I thought the boy that played um, Elf did a good job. He did a great yeah. job. He he was very likable and believable. Anyway, and then they had the Denstel girl was the love interest, and she did mm-hmm. really good. I hate to say that I had prejudged that because because you know she's a Denstel and the chocolate <laughs> place sponsors it. I was like, oh, I see. But then she was actually really good. She is she is very good. Yeah, so it was nice. Are you doing any plays upcoming? Nothing planned in in the immediate future. I've uh, actually had a couple of coworkers ask me if I was doing Rocky Horror again. Yes, I have been asked that also. What do you think? What do you What are you thinking? I think if we can get enough of the original crew together, I yeah. think we can make another run of it. But yeah, well, it's one of those things where if you ask me the week after, I say no, but then the more time passes, the more I'm like, okay, okay, I can do it. Madeline uh, uh, has said in the beginning she said no, and now she's saying, well, ask me later, maybe. So mm-hmm. I think she probably would. And I know Brian loves playing Frankenfurter. Yeah. So it's very likely that there's several of us that you could get back to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got this time I kind of got called in as a pinch hitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that, and that was more, we could talk about later why, but there was one person in particular that uh, was wanting to do it as sort of a last hurrah. And then, you know, mm-hmm. there was a shuffle up. So it's all good. But I love you as uh, Dr. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what's his name? Dr. Scott. Dr. Scott. It's, yeah, it's Dr. a lot Scott. of fun. It's mm-hmm. absolutely a ton of fun to do it. It is a lot of fun. It's a lot more work than people think. I think it's less work for us now because we're so used to it. Mm-hmm. We're probably harder to direct now, though. Oh, yeah. We've because our... we're so set in the, the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those that don't know, we're talking about Rocky Hara uh, that the Ruffin has done now for, I think, five years in a row. And, uh, of course, I've played Rocky. My law partner, Brian, has played Frankenfurter. Jeremy's played Dr. Scott. Receptionist Molly has played um, Magenta's yeah Magenta. She played Magenta mm-hmm. and the um, Usher or whatever. And, it, and anyway, we have a lot of fun doing that mm-hmm. every year. We thought about doing a character swap up. Jeremy could be Rocky next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's things people don't want to see in this world. I don't know. They kind of get to see it anyway. That's <laughs> a point in, in the play. It's a lot of fun. So what? One, I want to talk to you about one more thing, just because I'm curious on your opinion, and I'll let you go. The uh, I was talking about aliens. Mm. <laughs> I was told, told him at the beginning, Jeremy's like, what are we going to talk about? I said, aliens. You know, so they've got the new, uh, uh, it's basically been admitted by the government now that they have, you know, non-terrestrial vehicles or at least non-human origin vehicles and potentially biologics. So what do you think about all that? Like, Do you think they're like legit aliens or you think maybe they're, from somewhere that we can't perceive on the planet, or or is it mis- is it all smoke and mirrors and bread and circuses to make us not pay attention to the fact we've got a zombie in the office, or what is it? I think that something like this pops up. It seems like every time Congress or the executive branch or something like that, somebody is doing something they want to divert attention from. Yeah, you know it's. We're going to release the real identity of who killed Kennedy. We're going to release the alien files, you know, and people are like, oh, they released a oh, way. We still don't have any real proof. We just have paperwork. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I feel like, I guess I want it to be true, but I just can't imagine in the vastness of the universe that there isn't other intelligent life, you know? I think in the vastness there has to be. Yeah, but you got to think if that there's other intelligent life, it could be millions of years ahead of us, and so I would think that it's possible they could warp space time. I mean, things there's things that we think are not an option, which would mean they could get here. 
Because I assume what you're about to say is, yeah, maybe, but the, the thing is, like, how are they going to get here, you know? Well, I mean, you're looking at if there is intelligent life somewhere else. There's three levels they're going to be on. They're either going to be inferior, you know, technologically to us, in which case they're never going to get, they're not going to find us. Mm-hmm. They're either going to be on par with us, which means they're going to have to be somewhere close by yeah. never, if, for us to pick up a signal or ever find them. That's true. Or they're going to have to be vastly technologically superior, in which case they'd probably be following something similar to the Star Trek, you know, directive of, you don't know, bother them. look at them, but don't bother them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that could be part of it. I have a theory that, that they're us. I think they may be significantly evolved uh, humans. And that they've they're coming back in time, so to speak, or somehow through warp or something, maybe another dimension, and just looking at us like in a zoo, looking looking around the curve. Yeah, yeah, just try, just like think about it. We would love to see dinosaurs, you know. We'd love to go back and see that. Now, of course, I'm doing it based on my perception right now of what we would want to see. I don't know in you know millions of years if we're still here, if that's the case. But you know, maybe that maybe that's it. Maybe they just want to come back and take a look. I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, if, if those are future humans, I'm not sure the path we're on right now, they're actually going to exist. But Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you. I think it's one of those things where, you know, uh, there's someone else, a sociologist, was talking about this, about the levels of uh, a species. And, like, we're at the level where in the next, I don't know, 100 years or so, we'll either completely destroy ourselves or maybe go to the next level where people quit fighting over dirt and stuff. You mm-hmm. know, and we realize that we're all the same species and we need to work together. So, I don't know. One of the two will happen probably in the next couple hundred years, I would think. Well, you know, I had somebody argue with me the other day, and they said, you know, kids in school aren't learning all the things we had to learn when we were younger. And I'm like, dude, kids in school are learning by seventh grade at this point more than scientists knew about DNA in 1955. Yeah. I mean, literally, they have access to more knowledge right here mm-hmm. than we had in school. Literally, this right here. Now, now you might look up knowledge, you know, that they maybe don't need to look up right now. But, <laughs> but my point is, they have access to more information on this thing than you know. We would go to a library, and that's got more information than the library has. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how much information there is. Uh, I, I think ultimately it's a good thing. I think more information is better, but it is somewhat overwhelming, mm-hmm. you know, because I'll get to, I'm going to finish this book, and then all of a sudden I've been on my phone for an hour looking at, uh, you know, TikTok videos mm-hmm. of a dude, you know, falling in a hole or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you look at how fast what is commonly known changes. You know, when I was in law school, I took a gun rights seminar, and I had to write a paper and when I started the paper, the first draft at the beginning of the semester, I basically wrote about how if the federal government is going to not apply marijuana laws to states that have legalized marijuana, then they need to kind of loosen up on the gun laws regarding you know gun possession if you use marijuana. Mm-hmm. Well, between the time that I wrote the first draft and the time that I finished the paper, I had to go back and rewrite a whole section of it because it had gone from like six states to like 36 states had legalized marijuana on mm-hmm. some level. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much by the time you read a paper on a topic now, somebody else has a paper refuting it. Yeah. So things are changing so fast. And I think the most important thing we can teach kids now is kind of something we learn in law school 
is how to take information and parse that information mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, I read an article that says this, so this is how it is. Well, let me read another article and try to either combine them, figure out what the truth is between the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, so let me run this argument by you, okay? And I, I mean, I already kind of know as a lawyer probably what you're going to say, but I thought it was a unique argument. I had a guy tell me, he said, uh, if you're convicted of a felony, right, felons can't vote anymore. And his point was, if I can't vote, uh, then how are they taxing me? Because now <laughs> I'm being taxed without representation and that that was unconstitutional. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, it, it's a sort of an old argument. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of rights that you lose when you commit a felony yeah. or when you're found guilty of a felony. Mm -hmm. You lose the right to own a gun. You lose, you know, multiple rights. That doesn't mean you're not still driving on the roads. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not still using the benefits of the freedom. Mm -hmm. You're just, lose. you lose some of those rights that they've entrusted to you. Yeah. Well, what I find interesting about it was, I mean, you know, if you understand what what you just said, which is true, you know you lose. If you're a felon, you lose gun rights, and uh, you can't run for election. Like mm -hmm. there, a lot of people don't realize that you can't run for office, things like that. Um, and and uh, I think that people have a piece of the puzzle and haven't really parsed it out, kind of like you're talking about. And so then those arguments have merit. That's kind of how things like sovereign citizen <laughs> arguments, I think, develop. Is they have a piece of a puzzle that sounds really good, and they're like, look, look, I'm showing you right here. You know, it's an admiralty flag because it's got fringe on it, you know, so it doesn't have authority, it doesn't have jurisdiction over me, and they just, they haven't gone any deeper into it. Mm -hmm. I, I was in a circuit the other day, and this guy was suing the county, um, suing the sheriff's office and all these, some civil rights stuff. And what he was arguing is that the discovery he received wasn't certified. It wasn't all certified. And most of it didn't have to be certified. Uh, that it was it just is what it is what it is. They were giving it to him from the custodian, you know, like it's it's didn't the judge was trying to explain to him why it didn't need to be certified, and it was that he had a piece of a puzzle that he thought mm -hmm. legal puzzle, but he didn't see the whole picture. And I think that's why, you know, it is important to have lawyers that delve into it and it can help explain it a little better maybe to people so they don't miss that they're just looking at this one piece of the puzzle. Sounds like something a member of the British Accredited Registry would say. Yeah, exactly. He, he's definitely one of those guys. He was representing himself. He's pro se. And uh, he was going on and on about it. And then he had like a, uh, they wanted, the, the he wanted the, um, what was it he was wanting? Uh, he was wanting the, to do the depositions of the sheriff and the chiefs and he wanted to do it on different days because he can do it on one day because he says he's got these medical issues. And when the other lawyer, he brought up something new for the judge to think about. And, and anyway, long story short, what happened was the guy needed to go get some medical equipment from his car to continue. And finally, that lawyer was like, you know what? Never mind, Your Honor. Withdraw him. Like, he didn't want to mm -hmm. wait on him to do that because it's going to take so long uh, for him to keep arguing with the court. Um, and he was, he was really hurting himself. But anyway. Yeah, small piece of the puzzle, not seeing the whole picture. Surprised he didn't ask for copies of their oaths and bonds. He may have. I come in on the end and only <laughs> heard the last part of it, so I don't know what all he had asked for, but it's very interesting. Well, anyway, uh, we're filming this before Christmas. I think you guys are probably going to see it after Christmas. I don't know. But uh, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Have you taken care of all the shopping at this point? I did. I had my uh, panic moment last night of who have I forgotten, mm -hmm. and then... I rectified that today, and I believe everything, everybody's caught up at this point. Good, good. 
What about you? I think so. I It was confusing because several of my family, their Christmas present was this cruise we're going to go on. Um, and then the ones that aren't going, I was like, I guess I got to get them something. So literally yesterday I had to go and finish up some last minute stuff. So, so since this is airing after Christmas, what'd you get for Libby? Uh, well, Libby's going to get to live in a house. <laughs> so she's going to be good. And then, uh, my pig, of course, uh, this was from cutting the hooves. I oh. ended up, sl- I was holding her legs and I had the, the trimmers in her hoof. And she kicked real hard, and it said zipper, and just literally to the bit bone, mm. cut me from here to here. It was squirting blood. It was really, really bad. It's great. Anyway. You didn't lose it, so. No, no, I didn't. But uh, give my uh, uh, fair wishes to Sarah, please. I will. I like her a lot more than you, and I uh, won't. <laughs> Most people do. <laughs> yeah, I just mess with you. She's, she's a very kind person. Madeline always enjoys talking with her. So. Good. And thanks for stepping in to do this for me, too, Jeremy. No problem. Yeah. And I appreciate you guys watching, too. I hope you have a good uh, rest of the week. As always, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe to the content. As I said before, we're on all social media platforms. Uh, Give us a like, a follow. Leave comments. Tell me you you don't like my hair or whatever. I don't care. It's great. And I just mentioned we're on TikTok where you can get those dopamine hits. And if you want more dopamine, just download Inside My Head from N.A. The Band, local guys, free album. Please support them. Uh, I want to remind you to support Michelle Allen. She's a longtime sponsor of the show. If you're buying, selling, renting, leasing real estate, she'd be glad to help you out. Just check her out with Cry Like Realtors. And then Mason's High Team Martial Arts. have been in Covington for a bunch of years, 30 years, and then we just opened a place in Millington. So you can check us out, masonsmartialarts.com. We'd be glad to get you to kicking. Jam Books and Records should be open soon, and it's going to be on the Covington Square. We will buy and sell books and records, new and used, so you can come check us out. Uh, That's going to be a lot of fun. And then last but not least, Josh will make you Godzilla movies and stuff uh, with dubbing. Just visit masonitemarketing.com, and he'll be glad to help you out. So have a good rest of your week. Uh, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, wherever we are when this posts, and keep kicking. Thanks for watching, guys. Just remember that this is not legal advice or investment advice or business advice. This is for fun and entertainment purposes only.